Well, before we get into the message this morning, I do want to let you know, um, as Pastor Dave Mergens has mentioned, uh, I am leading a trip to Israel in March of 22, and that's exciting. And if you want to go, I would love for that to be the case. Uh, But I have another opportunity I want to share with you as a church family and really covet your prayers for. Uh, I'll be leaving to Israel tomorrow for 10 days on a teaching tour with Dr. John DeLancey with Biblical Israel Ministry and Tours. I've been invited to go and do a Teaching the Bible on Location production for a ministry that he's the director of. And so I'm going to take advantage of that invitation and uh, looking forward to that. So you can be praying for me as well as my family uh, and the church family in the next 10 days uh, as I leave tomorrow morning and we'll be back on October 21st. So thank you for those prayers and uh, what a blessing it is to be able to have this opportunity to go teach the Bible on location uh, all throughout the land of Israel. So thanks uh, for that, and uh, really grateful uh, to be able to share this with you when it's all put together and done. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to open them and turn to Galatians chapter 3. A couple of things that I want to mention about uh, this is that if you have the church app and you uh, go to the app, just simply click on that homepage, uh, Sermon Notes, it'll bring you to the text and the notes. But the other thing I want to at least uh, make mention of is that The text I've been preaching out of is the ESV version. So uh, ESV, in case many of you have been asking, what text are you preaching from? Because it's a little bit different than the Bible in the pew, which is an NIV. And I agree with that, and sorry for the confusion. So let's just point that out right away. If you're trying to follow along from the pew Bible and the words are a little bit different, that's the reason for it. Um, But you're certainly welcome to grab that Bible, grab your own Bible, and follow along. Galatians chapter 3. Uh, we are entering into a theological discourse that Paul is putting together on uh, the doctrine of salvation. Now, as we've considered the gospel all throughout the book of Galatians, we've come to realize that it really is a gospel of grace, and it's God's grace to us upon which by faith we receive the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross, and through our faith in Christ, we will be not only granted salvation, but we will also be given everything we need through the Holy Spirit that is placed in us to live the Christian life. So often in the church, we talk about the gospel as something that can bring somebody unto salvation, and we stop there. What we have to realize is the gospel not only brings us unto salvation, But the gospel in life is what empowers us to live the Christian life unto eternity. It's all about the grace of God and the work of Christ in us and through us, not just for salvation, but also for the Christian life. From beginning to end, from the moment we're justified, made right with God, through the whole entire Christian life upon which God is forming and shaping us over time until the day that we're glorified is all by God's grace through faith in Jesus. Now, when I was in college and a couple years after, uh, I worked for a construction company and I drove trucks 
And I drove all kinds of payloaders and big equipment, and it was a blast. I loved it. Uh, I actually worked for a road construction company, and I was on a dirt crew as well as the paving side of things. Uh, but there was one time we were building uh, a road to some oil uh, wells that they were building uh, south of Cody, Wyoming. So we we're in the mountains. Uh, we were building the roads to these locations. And there was this one particular area where we had cut into the side of the hill and we built up uh, a road to get through a high side of this uh, uh, foothill. And we had not had the rails on yet. And I had a truck that was full of gravel as I was hauling gravel, hauling gravel. And I would call ahead to my boss and say, you know, I'm not convinced that my truck's going to make it to the top of this hill. And he'd say, ah, you'll be just fine. Just keep on going. So I kept on hauling. Lo and behold, one trip up the hill, I got right to the top and the truck died. At this point, I didn't panic, but I had that moment of, uh-oh, what do I do now? So I pulled all the buttons and hit all the levers and pushed all the pedals that I could, upon which nothing stopped me from going backwards. And down this hill I went with a full load of gravel as fast as the truck could go because I had no way of stopping it. Now, fortunately, we had built a runaway ramp full of gravel at the bottom of the pit. And I ended up backing this truck and just burying it in there. Now, why do I tell this story? For this reason, anytime we backslide in life, usually nothing good can come of it. I want you to consider your life as a Christian. Remember, by grace, through faith, are we saved but it's also by grace through faith that we live the Christian life. I know that there have been times in my life where I've not only been guilty of going backwards in a dump truck down a hill, burying it at the bottom, but I've also been guilty of backsliding in my walk with Jesus, succumbing to the fact, thinking in my own mind and in my heart that maybe there's something I can do more than what Christ has already done for me that will help me to sustain my walk with God. And that's simply not true. It's all by God's grace through faith in Christ. See, this is the issue that Paul wants to address. Now, of course, in the Christian life, we're called to live in obedience to the word of God. And I want us to be mindful of that. But when you think of the road that you're traveling, is the road that you're traveling on one that is paved with good intentions? Or is it one that Christ has paved for you. Be mindful of that this morning as we consider uh, this passage in Galatians chapter 3. Here we turn the corner from Paul's defense of the gospel and his apostleship really to a place where he's boldly redirecting the Galatian believers back to Christ. After all, he said, it is in Christ that you've been set free from your sin. And it's in Christ that you've been given everything you need to live the Christian life because the life comes through the spirit that is now in you. Here, Paul masterfully builds his case for salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Chapters three and four are really gonna get into the heart of the doctrine of salvation. Here, 
Paul proves to the Galatian believers, there's nothing you can do that could ever be greater than what Christ has already done for you. Let's see what he has to say with this, about this. Galatians chapter 3, I'll begin reading in verse 1 and through verse 14. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Have you begun by the Spirit? You are now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then when those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. I want you to remember that the book of Galatians can be divided neatly into three parts. Part one being chapters one and two. Remember, those are the defense of uh, the gospel and also Paul's defense of his apostleship, being a messenger of God, giving us a message about what the truth of the gospel really is. Chapters three and four, which we're beginning today, is really the doctrine of salvation or Paul's theological defense of the gospel from the position that he is going to lay out for us how we get to an understanding that salvation truly is by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, chapters 5 and 6, well, that gets to the heart of application. And this is what so many want week in and week out. Tell us how this applies to our life. And I'm going to do that. But if we don't understand what it says and what it means, there's no way we can apply it actually to our life. And so that's where some of these doctrinal teachings that we have to endure for a season are so critically important for us as believers. But in chapters 5 and 6, Paul gets to the heart of the matter as he says, by faith you're saved and by faith you live the Christian life. And it's in those two chapters that he really lays out for us how that happens and what that really looks like. You see, Paul knew 
something about the Judaizers and what they were doing to the Galatian church. After he brought the gospel to them and they converted to to Christianity, remember what happened. These Judaizers showed up and they played to the emotion of these new believers. They played to their emotion by saying to them, hey, we understand that, that, that you want to get right with God. Is that true? Well, of course it's true. Good, we want that for you too. The only thing is Paul came bringing the gospel and that's good. Jesus is good, but you're not quite there yet. In addition to the gospel, you must be circumcised and you must adhere to the Jewish law and therefore become a Jew. And when you do that, then you will truly be saved. The Galatian church bought into this false teaching. And guess what Paul's now doing? He's pulling them back. He's saying, stop it. That's a lie. You came to Christ by faith because of God's grace in your life, and you should continue to live life the same way you came to life. And so in verses Um, one through five, within that framework, hear this again. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed that was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? You hear the tension? Paul's going to deal with this tension now. He says, you foolish Galatians. Sounds offensive, doesn't it? Kind of is. Yet what it was really intended to do is capture their attention, to draw them back to the truth. Well, Paul's really crying out to the, the church in Galatia, and I even say to us, is don't be mindless. Don't be thoughtless in your walk of faith. Essentially, don't stop using your head. God has given you knowledge and experience through life in Christ. Don't forget that. Don't forget how you came to faith in Christ and the change that Jesus has made in your life. Don't abandon that. He goes on to say, who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you? Who has led you down a path to believe a lie? To be bewitched is simply to be tricked into believing something that isn't true. You started by faith in Christ. Now all of a sudden you want to put your own effort into this? Who's done this to you? Well, of course Paul knows who has done this. The Judaizers have done this. Paul makes the case that when I came to you, You were portrayed, publicly portrayed as Christ crucified, and and that is what brought you to faith in him. What does it mean to be publicly portrayed? Well, we would have an association to this as a billboard. 
Think if you came into Alexandria and the largest, most significant billboard that you entered Alexandria and that we were known for was the picture of the crucifixion of Christ. We would be the talk of many towns for lots of reasons. But this is exactly what Paul brought to the Galatian church, a portrait of Christ and him crucified. And the significance of that and what did the Galatian church do with that? They believed it. What they believed is that the work of Christ on the cross was sufficient for their salvation. And therefore, all they had to do was believe and they would be granted eternal life. It's interesting how Paul goes through a series of rhetorical questions upon which the answer always brings them back uh, to by grace through faith in Christ. Here are the questions. I'm just going to give them to you. You can read them on your own, but I'm going to simplify them to what really Paul is asking. How did you become a Christian? We know the answer to that, don't we? By grace, through faith in Christ. That's the first question he asks. The second question he asks is, are you now trying to earn what you have been given? Didn't you come to salvation by grace through faith in Christ? Why are you now trying to earn what Christ has done for you? Don't do that. The third question that Paul rhetorically asks is, if coming to Christ was not easy for you, which it wasn't because many of you have suffered as a result of it, was it a waste of your time? Was all of that suffering for nothing? I mean, if you believe Christ crucified, why are you now trying to do it on your own? This is the tension that Paul continues to address. And here in verse 5, Paul reminds them that the change in them, including the miracles among them, came to them by the Father through faith and not by works of the law. Do you really believe the miracles of the Bible? I want to ask you that question seriously this morning. Do you? Do you really believe the miracles of the Bible? A skeptic once asked a new believer this very same question. The new believer that was asked this question happened to be a heavy drinker. And when this believer got saved... Jesus delivered him from his alcoholism. But he answered the question, of course I believe in miracles. The skeptic laughed. Do you really believe that Jesus could turn water into wine? He asked, I sure do. You see, in my house, he turned wine into food. He turned wine into clothing. He turned wine into shelter. Do you hear that? What happened to this new believer? He not only was delivered through the gospel of grace, but Jesus turned the wine that man was attached to, and he turned it into clothing for his children, 
food on the table, and shelter for the family. See, that's how the gospel of grace works. And that's exactly what Jesus does to our lives when we by faith receive him. He not only changes us, but he does miracles among us. Secondly, Paul points out that salvation has always come by faith or by grace through faith in verses six through nine. Here we read, just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, verse seven, now then, that is those of faith who are sons of Abraham and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Why Abraham? And why did Paul turn to Abraham so abruptly as being an example of one who has been saved by faith to tell you and me that it's always been by grace through faith that we're saved? Well, what were the Judaizers bringing to the Galatian church? They were bringing Moses and the law and circumcision and adherence to the law and telling you that in order for you to be saved, you what? You must become a Jew. So Paul says, all right, all right. If you want to play this game, I'll go with it. I'm going to take you back to a time that predates the law to the father of the Jews, Abraham himself. And as Paul takes us to Abraham, he points out that by faith, Abraham was counted as righteous. So let me explain what that means. By believing God, Abraham was made right with God. That's it. That's not too hard to understand, is it? By believing God, Abraham was made right with God. And that's it. Bible tells us that there's never been another way to gain salvation but by grace through faith. In the Greek, the understanding of being credited or counted as righteous is really to add to one's account. Interesting enough, when Abraham believed God, what was added to Abraham's account was a right standing with God. What was taken from Abraham's account and never to be added again was the guilt of his sin. Let me personalize this. When you, by grace through faith, come to Christ, Jesus added to your account a right standing before God the Father. And he also is no longer allowing the sin in your life to be seen by the Father. Because when the Father looks at you, he sees the blood of his Son, which covers all of your sin and mine. That's good news, amen? And that's what faith is all about, believing that Jesus did enough for our sin. Now, while the Judaizers pointed to Moses, as I said, 
Paul predates them and he points to Abraham. And I wanna take you back to the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. In Genesis chapter 15, this is the covenant that God makes with Abraham. And this is where we find that Abraham's belief in God was by faith and that credited him a right standing with God. Beginning in chapter 15, verse one of Genesis, we read these words. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, this was still Abraham, in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield and your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Now, I need to let you know that Abram and Sarah were really old, older than most of you in here, 99 and 90. Some of you might be pushing that. I won't call you out, but if you are, praise God for the life he's given you. But could you imagine having a child at your age right now? That'd be terrible, wouldn't it? But you want to know something? God said to Abraham, what you can't do, I can you count the stars. How many are up there? More than I can count. So will your descendants be. Now, in verse 6 is where it all comes together. And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. Did you notice it doesn't say he believed in the Lord, but that he believed the Lord? Even demons and Satan believes in the Lord. But we must, when by faith receive him, believe him to be who he says he is, to do what he says he can do, to give what he says he can give to us. Here Paul's point is clear within this passage. He says, he doesn't say this, but essentially this is what is being said. So, so I'm helping you understand this. Was Abraham's righteousness by circumcision? No. Why not? Because he believed God, that's all. And did you know that Abraham wasn't circumcised until 14 years after this account? It wasn't even part of the covenant yet. So it could not be. The Judaizers saying you must be circumcised and obey the law. That's how you get saved. And Paul's saying, look at Abraham. Was he? Absolutely not. Let's consider the law now. Did Abraham adhere to the law of Moses? <laughs> that could be a trick question. No. Why not? Because the law didn't get established through Moses until 430 years after this time. 
Yet, how was Abraham credited to be righteous? By believing God. That's simple. And that, by the way, is how we gain our righteousness before God too. Simply believing in Jesus. I want you to imagine a wealthy man comes to you and says, I have a house for you in Hawaii, and it will cost you nothing. All expense paid. I've taken care of the bill. No strings attached. You can use it whenever you want. It's not only that you don't have anything that you can offer this man to gain this property, but that you can't offer him anything to gain access to this property. I want you to consider that. And yet, the only way for you to know whether or not this property is truly there with your name on it is if you believe and you go and see. For if you believe and you go and see, and this man is telling the truth, what will you find? You will find that there's a house in Hawaii with your name on it, all expenses paid, you can use it, no strings attached, however and whenever you want. This is just a simple illustration to help you understand how the gospel of grace really works. You can do nothing for it, but receive it by faith. And when you do, what's God's promise to you? He will place his spirit in you. He will change your life. He will do miracles among you to prove that the reality of the gospel is true. Miracles like turning wine that I'm addicted to into clothing, into food, and into shelter. Relationships that are broken are no longer being broken, but they're being mended. See, this is the work of God through the people of God. This is how the gospel of grace works. We can't earn it. We can't do anything for it. All we can do is simply receive it. Finally, Paul says that the righteous shall live by faith. Verses 10 to 14. For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written... Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now, is it evident that no one is justified before God by the law? For the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Verse 13, now Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Paul's appeal to the Galatians, and I also believe his appeal to you and me today is this. If you are one who has come to Jesus by faith, and you are no longer living the Christian life by faith, but by your righteous works and your acts and, and, and your goodness is something you're now relying on rather than Jesus. He's saying, stop. Just stop that. Don't do that anymore. 
You never needed to do this. I don't know why you started doing this. Just stop doing this. You see, we can't rebuild something that Christ has fulfilled. It won't work. In verse 11, Paul pointedly and simply says this, by the way, is a quote from Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The righteous shall live by faith. The road that the Galatians were now traveling on is a wide road that leads to destruction. And Paul was just simply shouting the warning sign to them. It truly is a dead-end road. Remember early on in the service, I asked the question, what road are you traveling? Is it the road that Jesus has paved for you that leads to life? Or is the road that you're traveling on paved with good intentions, upon which you're relying on your goodness rather than the work of Christ on the cross? Matthew 5, or sorry, 7, verses 13 to 14. A very familiar passage to all of us. We just went through the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only few find it. What did we learn about that? Jesus is the narrow road, and Jesus is the gate. And the only way we can gain life is through Jesus Christ. We can never build a road that leads to life. We can never do what Christ has done for us. We can never gain a righteousness that we can only gain through Christ himself. Verse 13, Paul goes on to say, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, maybe a little easier for us to understand. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God sent his son Jesus to earth who sinned not and he placed the sin of humanity on him and he put him on a tree and Jesus died for you and me. And because he rose from the dead, the spirit and the power of God that rose Jesus from the dead is now granted to those who by faith receive Christ as savior. And that is good news, amen? Listen to verse 14 as we wrap this up. Paul says, so that in Christ Jesus, why did he do this? So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. What is the blessing of Abraham that is promised? Why does Paul say that that the scriptures knew that the gospel would be proclaimed to the Gentiles and they would come to receive the blessing of Abraham. Why does Paul talk like that? Because he understands that the blessing of Abraham is that by faith you can be made right with God. 
And that's the only way. Hear that. Before circumcision, before the law was ever implemented, because of God's grace, when you believe God, it would be credited to you as righteousness. And this is the blessing of Abraham that all of us Gentiles now are the recipients of when we recognize that on that billboard is Christ crucified and that everything he did for you and me is sufficient to meet our need to be found righteous in the eyes of God. The blessing of Abraham is to be made right with God by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is such, such good news. Remember this. The gospel isn't just there to bring salvation to our lives. It is through the gospel that we also live the Christian life. We live it by faith. A life of faith is continually relying on the finished work of Jesus Christ for our righteousness and never relying on our own efforts to earn God's favor and be accepted by him. I want to ask you this question this morning. How does having righteousness credited to you by faith in Jesus change the way you see yourself? How does having the righteousness of God credited to you because you believe Jesus, how does that change the way you see you? I hope it helps you to see that there's nothing you can do to be accepted by God, to be found righteous in his sight, but simply believe in the finished and completed work of Christ on the cross as being sufficient for your salvation and mine. And when we do, this will truly change our lives. It's how the wine of our life can turn into the needs of our life. How wine becomes clothing. How wine becomes food. How wine becomes shelter. How God's blessing upon us will change us from the inside out, reconcile relationships, and mend all that is broken so that we can live the life that God has for us to live. I hope that you can see that the righteousness given to you is given to you through Christ, empowered by the Spirit to live the life that God has for you to live. And when we do that, that is good news. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the righteousness that we gain by faith in you. For the difference that it makes in our life for the change that you bring, for the wholeness we can experience, for the mending of the broken. God, help us to never lose sight of Christ and Christ crucified as being sufficient to meet my sin 
and to give me the daily portion that I need to live for you, Jesus. Father, thank you for giving to us your spirit when we by faith receive you as Savior and Lord to empower us and equip us and give us all that we need so that we can live the Christian life by faith. Help us to never lose sight of the goodness of the gospel, but to live it faithfully until we see you in glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.